The True Crime Society podcast contains adult themes and violence and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the True Crime Society podcast with Stephanie and Olivia. It's Thursday, September 15th. It's a great day for no reason other than I'm just like in a good mood today. And we're just sitting here chilling. Peeps here, the star of the show. <laughs> if we're lucky, she'll speak out again. But I don't know. We were just laughing because the episode, last week's episode came out today. And of course, Peep had to scream. And people get excited when they hear her message us, which is cute. Even someone so, made a little meme for Peep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we will always accept memes of Peep and <laughs> cute things like that. Mm. You have to get, like, your pets in on the action. I <laughs> know, oh, I know. Well, yeah. <laughs> I think if I got my pets in on the action, it would be chaos. Last night, they were absolutely, Daisy was just lost her mind. She was running around like I thought something's going to get knocked over. She's going to knock over a cabinet. She just would not stop. And she's a big dog. so And you have hardwood not... floors, don't you? Yes. <laughs> So she can't get any traction. So she's like, (laughs) oh, my God, scrambling. Like like she was actually scrambling to try and get some traction under her (laughs) feet. So funny. No, I think it's much better if my dogs do not take part. (laughs) I think the people want that, though. So you'll do it for the fans. Oh, my goodness. Um, Yeah, so um, weather update. It was actually kind of cool today, but I think it's going to get hot again. I'm ready for fall. I am sick of the summer. I'm sick of it being hot. I'm sick of it being so freaking humid here. Mm. And I just want fall weather. I want apple cider donuts. I want apple ciders. I want to go to a freaking farm and do whatever that you do. <laughs> it's actually so, so, so lovely here today. It's like going to be 23, which I don't know. I suck at the conversions, which is probably late 70s. Fahrenheit it's just Mm. beautiful they have announced that we're going to have another La Nina which is like some Mm -hmm. really wet summer but you know what I'm just like whatever I can't I can't even be bothered anymore what will be will be and um they've said it will probably be shorter and not as bad as the other ones so as long as we get a few sunny days here and there we'll be fine we can get through it (laughs) yeah we're like in hurricane season now I think so sometimes we get like the leftovers of some of the bigger ones but we'll see um Mm. I've actually been wearing, like, for one, my job is really cold where I work. Like, in my office, I'm always freezing, and I'm just sick of it being summer. And since it's September, I'm like, it's fall. I'm going to wear fall clothes. So I started wearing, like, long sleeves and leggings. So I'm happy at work and in the morning when it's a little cooler. And then it gets but then, off. yeah, and then I go to the store on my break, and I'm, like, sweating. And I look like such an <laughs> asshole because it's, like, 80 degrees, and I'm wearing, like, a flannel and leggings. And I'm like, what? It's fashion. <laughs> That's funny because I'm the same. I feel freezing in my office, but they seem to always have the air on so cold. So I like, I get dressed up for work, you know, a nice dress. And then I just put my massive puffer jacket on (laughs) and wear that all day over my clothes. Yeah. Like the vent that our building was like uh, remodeled. So it was like an older building and then they kind of redid everything for like our business because it's a newer business, but all the vents didn't get redone. So my tiny room has like this huge vent in it that just blows cold air on me all day but then the rooms where they work with the machines and stuff where it gets hot it's like not as cool in there so they like pump the air conditioner and I'm always frozen I have a little (laughs) heater going all the time it's always one extreme to the other isn't it yeah and then my boss wonders why I never feel good (laughs) do you have any big weekend plans or anything no actually my husband is away from Thursday to Sunday so it's Friday here now which <laughs> I know it's bad but I actually love it it's so calm like yesterday I picked up the kids from school and I said I like made it a game I'm like who wants to help me clean the house <laughs> and they were so like, we no. spent, they did they were so into mm-hmm. it I'm like let's I said let's set a time for half an hour let's do it as much as we can and they loved it and like my youngest one especially, she loves. She actually loves cleaning. She's like, Mom, look what I did. I cleaned the kitchen. Like she was so good. So, Are they actually no, good at it? They are. Well, good. my younger one especially. The older one is. She's just not as enthusiastic. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got a nice clean house. Last night I sat in peace and I watched the new Netflix, Laurie Vallow, Sins of Our Mother, which I really enjoyed. Oh, I it? recommend. It's um, not anything groundbreaking but it's a really good introduction especially for people who aren't familiar with the case or if you just need a refresher 
I just I still like people were like messaging about it and I still cannot believe that it's actually a real life story it's I know insane. I was thinking that today I, and I really feel like there is hardly any other stories that are such like as mm. crazy as that story Murdoch but like in a different way yeah Murdoch it's still not as crazy I think just the whole like in the in the in the Netflix documentary they play a lot of Laurie's podcast where she talks about the angels and you know how she is in the relationship with the angel Roni and all that stuff yeah all of that I remember we talked about it but we couldn't find it online and no they've got it in there and I it also kind of changed my opinion of Chad a little bit. Like I, I feel like Chad is not very intelligent at all based on like – He's just like, a dumb idiot. He just went along with her. He was whipped. He – like they played a clip, which I don't actually think I have ever heard before, where police were searching his house before they found Tylee and JJ. Mm. And he – Laurie must have called him from jail because I'm sure she was in prison by that time because she didn't produce the kids like they told her to. Right. And he just sounds – downtrodden and beaten like she's like oh what's going on and he's like oh they're searching the house like I just feel like he is a wet blanket <laughs> she's absolutely insane and I, but I, I I don't think he is I think he just went along with it and I'm sure he probably has some regrets now but he was just too whipped by Laurie to get out of it yeah, he just wanted to get laid and found himself in this <laughs> this mess. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Anyway, like a lot of people have messaged. So at the end they kind of have, you know, the postscript where they say what's happening with the case and that the death penalty is being sought or will likely be sought for both of them. Um, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if she gets in. He doesn't. But anyway, well, I guess we'll wait and see what happens. I can't believe that trial hasn't even started yet. Oh my gosh. I know, not till next year, I think, I'm pretty sure. And I feel like crazy stuff's <sighs> going to come out. Yeah. when it goes to trial yeah. it's like I was just saying to you yesterday I can't believe the the Parkland shooting trial is still going on even though it's two like separate trials but it's been going on for like three years it's crazy how some take so long yeah and then like Chris Watts happened I feel like so quickly like in like I'm two sure. days <laughs> it's yeah I just sometimes it's weird I understand that Laurie's has been dragging on because she wasn't competent and all that stuff but yeah, yeah it's just it's, crazy it's very even long. like the the tote family the actual trial was only like a week maybe a week and a half yeah it's crazy and then some go on for years anyway so i recommend checking it out it's like three 45 ish minute episodes you can binge it in a night like i did it was good it was interesting i'm definitely gonna watch it like this weekend because i don't have anything to do it was very well done. Like, you know, some of the Netflix stuff, I'm like, oh. but no, it was, it was well done. It was a lot of it features Colby Ryan, which is obviously why it's called Sins of Our Mother. Um, mm. I was saying to one of Nikki, who's in our True Crime Society mod and admin group, that I just feel so sorry for Tylee as well. Like she was 17 years old almost. She would have absolutely known what was going on. Her mother would have been terrifying for her. JJ was maybe a bit younger and didn't realize, but. I always forget she's like older than I think she is. Yeah. Yeah, um, and they had they had some interesting kind of home footage that I guess Colby had given them of when they were growing up, and you know, just before Tylee and JJ were murdered. So that was interesting to see. Yeah, I just watched actually a bunch of people on the True Crime Society Instagram had like recommended it over time. It's not a new documentary or anything or series, I guess. But I heard people saying it was good, and one of my coworkers watched it and was like, "Oh, you need to watch it. It was so good." The did you watch um? I think it's called like Worst Roommate Ever or something. Oh, I haven't watched that one, no. It's just about people who are terrible roommates, but they're all like true crime stories and the people who were living with them while the crimes were happening. It's pretty crazy, some of them. Um, like one guy was like a serial squatter and he would just lie to them, move in to be their roommates, and then oh. just like ruin their fucking lives, take over their apartment, steal their pets, like and then it's crazy the laws because apparently once you like establish residence somewhere, even if you never yeah. signed a lease, yeah. like you live yeah. there. Squatters rights, whatever. I know. Is that what you call them there? Squatters rights? I guess so. I didn't even know mm. it was a thing until I watched this because they were like, once they start getting mail there, you're like screwed. Yeah. Like, like but yeah, they get insane. rights even though there's actually no legal documentation. I'm like, so someone could just like visit me at my house or like stay for a little <laughs> while and then get mail Refuse and then they live leave. there? <laughs> Pretty much damn careful who you let in <laughs> yeah that was pretty good if anyone hasn't watched it but i will watch the Lori Vallow one this mm. weekend and i'll let everyone know my thoughts because i know the people are dying to know <laughs> <laughs> yes definitely let us know all right so i don't really have anything else to talk about no big weekend plans for me as i said so 
guess we'll get on with the episode after we're done talking about ourselves. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Someone's going to be mad. <laughs> sometimes there's lots of stuff to talk about. Sometimes there's not. You know, my life's not always so fulfilling, as we've heard. <laughs> but Olivia's isn't either, okay, as we can see. <laughs> so today we are going to talk about an Australian case which is different for us. We feel like, well, we do some sometimes, but usually they're from my homeland. <laughs> I feel like there's just, we have a lot less population. So essentially then there is a lot less crime to choose from. But you guys are like way more chill. So. <laughs> this has been a really big ongoing crime here and there's been a lot of movement. So we had a lot of messages saying, have you guys covered this? And I wasn't ever planning to, but it's actually such an interesting case that you know it's a very unusual case too that we don't often see cases like this come out yeah so we're talking about the case of missing woman lynette dawson which i actually never really i've heard of it but i never like read about it in depth until we decided to do the episode and it's pretty crazy so there's affairs there's affairs with minors teachers missing wife of course it's the husband as always (laughs) a lot of creepiness too like just yeah yeah, anyway, a lot of things will make you go, ew. Yeah. <laughs> or like clutch your pearls a little. So if you haven't heard of it, it's a good one. Chris, do you have anything to say? The ugly chaos of that last fateful day at court marked the final hours of freedom for killer Chris Dawson. For four decades, he'd stuck to the story that his wife Lynette had walked out on their marriage and deliberately abandoned their two young daughters. But it was all a grotesque fabrication. Lynn was already dead and he had murdered her. Christopher Michael Dawson on the charge that on or about 8 January 1982 at Bayview, uh, you did murder Lynette Dawson. I find you guilty. You may sit down. this morning to dig um, with the possibility of a body being buried in this area. In the end, despite exhaustive searches, the evidence was purely circumstantial. There was no body, no direct proof. Instead, it was the 74-year-old's litany of lies that brought him undone. As always, we'll start with some background on on the people involved in the case. So there is Lynette. She was born Lynette Sims in 1948 in Australia. We believe she grew up in Sydney. And when she was 16 years old, so around 1965, she met another teen named Chris Dawson, who was also 16 at the time. They met at a high school function. Lynn was a student at Sydney's Girls High and Chris attended Sydney's Boys High. And so they met at this event. They dated for five years before they got married at St. Jude's Church in Randwick, Sydney on March 26, 1970. So also this case is a little older, as you can see now. We did do a poll on our Instagram. People said they were interested in some cold cases, too. So we're trying to mix those in, even though, like you were just saying, that this is cold, but still current. This is cold, but current. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Chris, the bad guy of the story, the husb. He has a twin brother named Paul, and the two have been extremely close all their lives. Between 1972 and 1976, Chris and Paul played professional rugby for a Sydney team, the Newtown Jets. Um, So in 1975, Chris and Lynn purchased vacant land at two Gilwinga Drive in Bayview, and they paid $31,000 for the land and $70,000 to build what would become their family home. So, of course, Olivia looked it up for us, and (laughs) it seems like the house last sold in 2017, which would be years after the Dawsons left, for $2.4 million. And because of the crazy property boom, it's now valued around $4 million. So The median house price in Bayview is $3.5 million. So it's a very affluent area. I'm not quite sure what it was like back then. It probably was not very developed, but, yeah, now it's a very affluent area you know, nice area. So basically they paid $100,000 altogether to buy the yeah. land, build the house. I'm sure there's been upgrades and stuff to it since then. Yeah. But now it's valued at $4 million, which is <laughs> crazy. crazy. 
1976, Chris and Paul appeared on a documentary on the Australian ABC called Checkerboard. In the program, they discussed their close bond as twins and how it affected their lives. Chris and Lynn had two daughters together. They were named Sharon and Chanel in 1977 and 1979. So after Chris and Paul stopped playing rugby, they both got jobs as high school teachers, specifically in physical education, so gym teachers. Um, and so there's a very comprehensive podcast on this case. It's called Teacher's Pet. And that podcast alleges that both Chris and Paul were known to groom female students. Chris is said to have groomed a student at Cromer High School named Joanne Curtis, their affair allegedly began in 1981. Chris was around 34 at the time, and Joanne was only 16 at the time. So, gross. Chris introduced Joanne to Lynette and his daughters as a possible babysitter. Then Joanne ended up becoming a live-in babysitter with them. So, we could see where this is going. Mm. One neighbor saw Joanne swimming topless in Lynn's pool and remarked to his wife that Chris was, quote, fucking the babysitter. Joanne told during an inquest, she talked about that and she said, I went topless. That's just the way I was. So Joanne has since said that she and Chris used to meet up at a hotel called the Time and Tide Hotel, which was just 700 meters or 230 feet from the school where Chris worked and where Joanne was a student. She said, sometimes we went to a park just to have sex every week. Joanna said that she and Chris used to spend time with his brother Paul and his, quote, girlfriends. These were students at another local school, the Forest High School. Joanne later spoke about a rivalry that existed between Paul and Chris. She said, there was competitiveness there, but I didn't know about any of the other girls with Chris at all. Chris was the one living up to his brother. I believe Paul was leading Chris. Chris was very impulsive and quick to get angry. Paul was much calmer and self-controlled. Joanna said that towards the end of 1981, Chris became, quote, very cold towards Lynn. She said he used to sing songs to her that had double meetings, that he didn't care about her, that she was physically unattractive, she said. Just digging away at her, singing songs that were hurtful to wear down just, just to upset her. I wasn't looking at her reactions. I wasn't sensitive to what was going through, to what she was going through, obviously. She was a 16-year-old too. Like I know, you know, she probably should have known better, but she was still a teenager. Like, you know. Easy to manipulate. And I think she had a pretty shitty home life herself. So she was probably looking for a father figure or, you know, we could go into the, the whole psychology of it. But, yeah, I feel like it's not unreasonable for her to say that she didn't really understand the brevity of what was going on. Yeah, and I'm sure he's telling her all kinds of bullshit yeah, and, like, brainwashing yeah. her basically. Mm-hmm. So Joanne was asked during an inquest into the case about a time when, quote, Lynn caught you and him together. Joanne said it had happened once when she was sitting on his lap in kind of a children's game. She said she confronted him and we were standing in a triangle and she was talking to him. And she said, what are you doing? She was angry, angry and surprised, really. So at some point in 1981, Lynn began working part time at a child care center in Wariwood in Sydney. She told her friend from work, Anna Grantham, that Chris had been violent towards her and on one occasion on one occasion pulled her hair and shoved her into the mud near their pool. She said she was gasping for air. A neighbor to the Dawsons named Julie Andrew said that in October 1981, she looked over the fence to see Lynn and Chris arguing. Chris was shaking his wife by the shoulders as Lynn clutched one of their daughters. Lynn later told Julie the argument was about Joanne living in their home. Around the time of this argument, Chris had a nose operation in the hospital. He told Lynn he didn't want her to visit him, but Lynn's mother, Helena, went to the hospital, however, and of course, Joanne was there sitting next to Chris. So that explains why he probably didn't want her to come. So ballsy and so repulsive. Gross. Yeah. I know. Jerk. In November 1981, Joanne ended up moving out of the Dawson home after Lynn confronted her about the affair with Chris. But she just moved a few doors down into the home of Paul, the brother, and his wife, Marilyn. In December 1981, Chris put a deposit down on a unit in Manly that he intended to share with Joanne. After he did this, he called his other brother, Peter, who we think was a lawyer, to ask for advice about moving out and if it would affect a divorce settlement. Peter told Chris he would be financially penalized if he moved out with Joanne. Were they, I don't even think they were in like talks of a divorce yet, were they? Or... They don't get I, divorced, right? No. Well, she disappears before they can get divorced. Yeah. So, so maybe they were talking about it, but 
Yeah, it sounds like Lynn wasn't happy. Like I wouldn't be happy if my husband was acting like that with the apparent babysitter. With so, a child. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And even more so a child. So, um, yeah, I feel like the marriage was on the rocks. So maybe it had been on both their minds, but there was no formal divorce like proceedings. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so a friend of Lynn saw her just before Christmas in 1981, Rosalind McLaughlin later told a court Lynn had been unhappy when she last saw her and had bruising on her arm and thigh. Lynn pleaded with mothers in her tennis group to come back to her home, but they couldn't because they were busy. So for some reason, she didn't want to go back home alone, it seems like. So December 23rd, 1981, Lynn was waiting for Chris to pick her up from work, but he never showed up. So she took a taxi home to find a goodbye note from Chris asking her not to paint too black a picture of him to the children. Lynn was invited to her siblings' house for Christmas, but she chose to stay home to see if Chris would return. Chris and Joanne had packed up and decided to move to Queensland to start a new life together. They got to the New South Wales-Queensland border before they had to turn around because Joanne got cold feet and felt unwell. Probably started feeling like she was in a little bit over her head. Yeah, I can't even imagine being 16 or 17 years old. I'm just like, where are this girl's parents? Like, yeah. And it seems like she basically had no one that cared about her. They got back to Sydney on Christmas Day, December 25th, and they went to Paul and Marilyn's house and didn't tell Lynn they were back. They slept in the gymnasium of the school where Paul was a teacher. Imagine if that happened today. Like, imagine if some high school teacher is letting his brother and a minor sleep together at the school. That's crazy. It's like insane. Yeah. I can't even believe it. I feel like that would have been a problem back then, but it was just harder to get caught back then. Yeah, well, there would have been no cameras, no probably, yeah. much, you know, way less security. But I'm sure yeah. if the school found out, they wouldn't have been too pleased. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so Chris ended up going home to Lynn on December 26th. He had taken Joanne back to her mother's house, and he visited her most days that she was there. On December 31st, Chris told Lynn that he made plans to attend a New Year's Eve party on a yacht in Pittwater alone. Lynn wanted to go with him and their daughter, but Chris said no. So, of course, he was lying and there was no yacht party, and he just wanted to go spend New Year's Eve with Joanne together in his car. So, remember, (laughs) this guy is in his mid-30s. What a loser. (laughs) And this girl is 16. I'm sure she, you know, when you're younger dating like an older guy, I don't know about that older, but you think it's like so cool and he probably is like, you're You're so mature, (laughs) you're not like other girls, like you're so mature for your age. Mm. I feel like even she was probably like, what? This is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. She's probably like so cool. Um, So on January 4th, Lynn's co-workers have said they saw more bruising on her. She told them that she and Chris would be getting marriage counseling. But Lynette was last known to be alive on January 8th, 1982. She spoke to her mother that day, and the two arranged to meet the following day on January 9th at Northbridge Baths. During the call, Lynn told her mother that Chris had made her a lovely drink and that the counseling session went well. She said, everything's going to work out. In a diary entry, Helena, the mom, said, rang Lynn, sounded half sozzled, said all was well. If you're wondering what the Northbridge Baths are, it's kind of like a roped off calm area of the harbour so you can go swimming in there but it's not like an actual swimming pool it's just kind of like a natural relaxing yeah like well yeah I don't even know why they call it baths I think just because it's quite calm in the area where they have it it's not like going swimming in the ocean with waves it's just yeah is it like the place where kids can run around and scream and jump (laughs) or is it like a calming place no 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 it's it's actually that makes me think like chill no, and, and the baths I think just refers to the water, as in the water's like a bath. It's quite calm, uh, but no, I, kids can go there. Anyone can go there. It's not like going to a day spa or something like that. Yeah, day spa is what I was thinking. No. So Lynette didn't show up for the baths appointment. What happened to her after the phone call is still largely unknown. So on January 9th, according to Chris, Lynn woke up early to do washing and prepare lunch for the daughters. He said that she was upset about her behavior and apologized to him for how she'd been acting. He said that he drove Lynn to a Monovale bus stop so that she could go shopping. He then took their two kids swimming at Northbridge Baths. Oh, he brought them there. Yeah. Where Lynn was scheduled to meet him later that afternoon, but she never arrived. Helena has said that she showed up to the baths to meet Lynn as arranged and that she was nowhere to be seen. Helena said that Chris was agitated that day. He asked a friend to drive Helena and the kids back to Helena's home. On January 10th, 
which is literally days after Lynn disappeared, Chris traveled from his home in Bayview in Sydney to Southwest Rocks. Do you want to talk about that part? Yeah, so Southwest Rocks is north of Sydney. It's around five hours north now. So back, and that's with, you know, freeway advancements and things like that. So back then it would have been a longer one-way drive, but it's kind of like a very popular holiday spot on the coast. I know even know today lots of people who go there for the holidays. So yeah, it's just a town called Southwest Rocks on the coast of New South Wales. Yeah, so I guess the point is it wasn't a small trip to be making no. when your wife is missing. Uh, no fault of your own, apparently. No, like I would, I would have, I would say back then it probably would have been at least six and a half hours one way. Yeah. So of course that is where Joanne was staying for the summer holiday. As you know, January is summer in Australia, different for us, but that's how it is on the other side of the world. <laughs> um, so she was over there, and she said that she went on this trip because she. Oh wait, she later said that she ended up going there because she wanted to get away from Chris for a while because she was probably sick of seeing him. But while she was away there, they talked on the phone all the time. And he, she said that he begged her to come see him because he said that he needed her and she felt wanted. So I guess she let him come. But basically he begged her to come and she gave in. He seems exhausting, suffocating her really. I know, especially for someone in their mid-30s. Yeah. Joanne said that when Chris arrived, he was nervous and agitated. He collected Joanne and took her back to his home in Sydney, where she essentially where she essentially moved in for good. So Joanna said that Chris told her that she had to move into the home as Lynn wasn't coming back and he needed help with the kids. Lynette and Chris Dawson had been childhood sweethearts. She, the gentle nurse. He, the handsome footballer. In a 1975 documentary, Lynn told of life with her famous husband. I hadn't put any thought about sharing him until somebody a couple of years ago said, what is it like sharing a husband? And to me, it was just seemed so silly. Those words now seem chillingly prophetic. Chris Dawson will go on to groom one of his own students for sex. A troubled teen known throughout the trial as JC. She was another victim of his twisted manipulation. Within days of murdering his wife in January 1982, he moved the schoolgirl into the marital bed, installing her as replacement mother to Lynn's kids. Chris told authorities later that Lynn called him on this day and said she needed time to work things out. He called Lynn's work for her and said that she was sick and would need a week off. Very, very nice of him <sighs> to do that. So two purchases show up on Lynette Dawson's bank card on January 12th, 1982. One for women's clothing at Katie's Narrabeen, dated January 12th, and another for Just Jean's Narrabeen, dated January 27th. However, it's unclear when the purchases were made because there's no documentation to substantiate the claim. I mean, back then, it's not as like mobile and everything on an app as it is now. Obviously. It's unusual too because it says that the Just Jeans one was dated January 27th. Yeah. But the statement is January 12th. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't really understand. Maybe the January 12th is kind of start period of the statement. Yeah. So anyway, if, in case you're wondering, I also don't understand, but that's what's been reported. It just essentially means there was two charges made after Lynette disappeared. Yeah. So Chris alleges that he was last contact he was last in contact with Lynn on January 16th, 1982. So despite moving Joanne in, Chris did not report Lynn missing until February 18th, 1982, which is six weeks after she vanished. Chris told police that he thought Lynn had left following an argument over her spending habits. He said that he dropped her to a bus stop after she told him that she needed to get away and that she never returned. He also told police that he thought she may have joined a religious group. Just throw that right in. <laughs> Joanne has since come out and said that when she moved into the home, all of Lynn's belongings and jewelry were in the house. Joanne has since said that she was cranky about the situation because she was young and wanted to live a normal teenage life. Joanne has said that Chris told her she had to sort through Lynn's clothing and put them in plastic bags. She said they were put into a linen cupboard in the hallway. They were to be taken over to Lynn's mother. On March 27, 1982, Chris placed this ad in the paper. It said, Lynn, I love you. We all miss you. Please ring. We want you home, Chris. Just also funny to think back. It's like before <laughs> cell phones and stuff. So that's how remember, you had to I always remember that. Like they used to put Valentine's notes in the paper every year. Yeah. Like it, it was such a weird time. <laughs> 
Yeah, just weird before mm. cell phones, anything like that. Yeah. No internet. In August 1982, Chris submitted a report to police. He asked for a court order for the dissolution of his marriage to Lynn on the basis of abandonment. In the documents, he said he was a forlorn, abandoned husband who tried to find his wife. He tells police the pair experienced marital difficulties due to Lynn's bank spending. Such a dick. No. So arrogant. Sorry. It's yeah. Just, it's just so arrogant. The court order was granted in October 1982. Chris got all the assets, including the house, as well as custody of the two children. When friends of Chris and Lynn's went to visit Chris in 1983, they noticed that Joanne was wearing Lynn's rings. This whole story is also just insane because it seems like we get into it more later, but it's like police did fucking nothing for so long. And he's just like doing all this legal stuff, like getting all of their their house, all of the assets in his name. Like how did he get away with this for so long? I feel like back then too, and obviously I'm probably generalizing and speculating, but I feel like there would have been way less female police in the police force. So you know, all the men would have been like in the kind of boys' club. Yeah, I yeah, know, like yeah, oh, yeah. she ran away. She yeah. spends too much money, and just like my wife. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like it would have been like you know the boys' club slap on the back. Oh, don't worry, mate. You know, yeah, it's fine. And especially because he was kind of well known as a rugby league player, so mm. I feel like he just got away with it because he he acted like he was untouchable, and everyone treated him that way. Journalist Headley Thomas was in the midst of identifying the glaring inconsistencies in Chris Dawson's story. Clues that police failed to follow up in the early years of the investigation. As I went through the case, you know, I realised there'd been these misunderstandings, missed opportunities, evidence that hadn't been properly considered, witnesses who hadn't been contacted. Would you say the police failed Lynn Dawson? Yes, they did. Headley breathed life into the case uncovering a trove of new information in his podcast, The Teacher's Pet, that captivated millions of people across the world. What do you think of Chris as a person? I think he's a despicable person. I think he's severely narcissistic. I think that he's dangerous. I think that he's lying to himself, lying to his daughters, his friends, his family, and has been for a long time. In 1984, Chris married Joanne Curtis. She wore Lynn's rings that had since been resized to fit her. Joanne has said that he proposed many times to her and she finally agreed. Joanne said that on their wedding night, Chris grabbed her around the throat and she became frightened. She's spoken out about their wedding day since and she said, oh my God, like this is what she was thinking then, I guess. Yeah. Um, she was like, oh my God, what am I doing here? I think I resigned myself that I was that I was not going to get away from him. I don't feel as though I had a choice. The two had a daughter together named Kristen, um, and Joanne said about that, I was 18, I was taking care of two children, having to learn to cook, having to learn to clean, having to learn to be the substitute housekeeper, sex slave, stepmother, babysitter, slave. She said he was violent. There were some times when I locked myself in one of the bedrooms and he would try to break the door down. I didn't like being there. I didn't like looking after his children. I just want to do what people do when they're 18. After Kristen was born in 1985, Joanne has said that she was subjected to daily domestic violence. She found it hard to connect with Chris's two daughters from his marriage with Lynn, and that angered him. She said, I was only allowed to treat them like little princesses, and if I did discipline them, he would discipline me, and they came to realize I had no authority. I was consumed by my own child and the love I had for her, and Chris was not happy. During one argument that the couple had about this, Chris became so mad that he punched the windscreen of Joanne's vehicle. Joanne spoke, has spoken out about their marriage deteriorating even more once Kristen was born. She said he was even more possessive. Of, he was even more possessive of me and rejected Kristen because he wanted me to himself. She told the coroner's court. So basically, he was jealous of his own child. Yeah. Chris Dawson has never altered his warped version of events, lying point blank to his own daughter in their last ever conversation in 2018. Have you asked him about all of this? Our last discussion was more just, yeah, him declaring again that he's never hurt my mum and he doesn't know where she is and... So he looked you in the eye and said, I never hurt your mother? Yep. Did you believe him? 
I wanted to. Which is not a yes and which is not a no. He is very convincing and I love him, you know. Paul Dawson, that's the brother again, and his wife Marilyn moved to Queensland. And Chris packed up his life with Joanne to join them in December 1984. Throughout 1984, Chris managed to get all the joint marital assets that he shared with Lynn to be put in his name. He sold the house in Bayview in Sydney. Chris and Joanne built a house in the street next to where Paul and Marilyn lived in Queensland. Their house had a six-foot-high fence, and Joanne said that she basically couldn't interact with anyone outside the immediate family, except for Paul's wife, Marilyn. In 1985, one of Lynn's friends, Sue Strath, wrote to New South Wales Ombudsman's office, asking them to intervene over what she felt was a lack of action by police in Lynn's case. Senior police claimed at the time there was nothing to indicate foul play or suspicion. If you don't know what an ombudsman is, I don't know, it must be like a British term, but basically most kind of, um, I don't know what the word is, like most areas here have an ombudsman. Like there's a telecommunications ombudsman. So basically if you are with a telecommunications company, for example, and they aren't helping you, they're doing the wrong thing, you can go above them to the ombudsman. It's basically the highest. It's probably like our attorney general. Well, I think because we have attorney general too, but Mm. it's like basically the overseer of each um, department or each like that I'm sure there's a police ombudsman or maybe like a, a government ombudsman which is where she went to so so like if, the top if, guy yeah if someone if a company or an organization isn't acting how they should you go to the ombudsman and they kind of are a mediator and sort it out mm. yeah I've never heard that before <laughs> it must be a British thing <laughs> um, in 1987 or 88 the new owners of the home in Bayview visited with solicitor Jeff Linden. Jeff was the solicitor who helped Chris finalize his divorce from Lynn. The owners told him they were doing work on the home and Chris showed up recently to ask where they were digging. So that's weird. Mm. In 1989, Joanne joined a playgroup with Kristen so that she could meet other mothers. And she said, his reaction to me going to playgroup was severe. I came back and said, this person is allowed to do X, Y, Z in their marriage. He chose what I wore. If I was going somewhere, he would have to approve it. One night after she made some friends in the playgroup, she went with another mother named Tony Melrose to a lingerie party. Joanne said, I purchased this G-string underwear. I probably used cash. I had squirreled away. I brought it home and put it on for Chris and paraded it around. He said, you're only going to wear it for me. I said, I'll just wear it as underwear as I see fit. He got physically violent at me saying, you're not going to wear that for anyone but me. You don't have any rights kind of thing. And he ripped it off me. I was frightened. In the same year that the lingerie fight happened, Joanne met with a solicitor because she thought her marriage was deteriorating. She said that the relationship had deteriorated so badly I feared for my life basically at this time. So Joanne's marriage to Chris lasted until 1990. She fought for custody of Kristen after the marriage broke down and she got it. That same year, police conducted a survey on their former home in Bayview. They used ground-penetrating radar, but they didn't do any digging. They focused on the area around the swimming pool, but they didn't find anything. In 1991, Lynn's case was reopened. On January 15th of that year, Chris was interviewed by Queensland Police about the case. Senior Police Officer Paul Hume had been asked to look into the case by his wife's friend, who I believe was Sue Strath, who had contacted the Ombudsman in 1985. When Paul started to look into the case, he found that Lynn's file was almost empty. Um, I guess things kind of kept going around for a little while, you know, bumbling along, because I found an article from news.com.au that said in 1998, so seven years later, Lynn's case was reopened again. So I I can kind of understand it because where do you start 10 years after the fact? If the case Mm -hmm. file is empty, what can you really even do? Where do you begin? I'm sure that they're not going to get funding to look into it. Like I, it's not an excuse, but I can kind of understand why this happened. Yeah. In 1999, Chris and Paul's phones were tapped, but they never talked about Lynette during the time they were tapped. Paul and Marilyn were questioned by police during that year Marilyn said that Lynn, quote, made opportunities for her husband and the babysitter, Joanne, to be together. Marilyn said that Lynn did not fight for her marriage to Chris. I wonder if she was saying that trying to like what she was trying to insinuate, just that like the marriage sucked and Chris is a piece of shit. Or if she was trying to insinuate that like Lynn didn't care and that she probably did run off. Yeah, I think she's Marilyn is or was team Chris. Yeah, absolutely. She never, as far as I have ever seen it, stuck up for Lynn. Um, She was always on the twin side. 
So in January 2000, police again searched the Bayview home. They did some excavation this time around the pool area. They found a woman's pink cardigan and a popper, which if you know, a popper is a juice box, mm-hmm. um, container with 1981 expiry dates. The cardigan was in pieces and appeared to have slash marks on it, which is random, but they couldn't confirm that it belonged to Lynn. In February 2001, the first coronial inquest into Lynn's disappearance was held. If you don't know what an inquest is, this is from the coroner's website. It says a coronial inquest is a formal hearing in a courtroom concerning the death or suspected death of a person. The inquest is led by the coroner to gather more information about whether a death has occurred and if so, the cause and circumstances of the death. Um, So basically they – and I feel in in a most coronial processes too – people are exempt from being charged. They can come forward with less fear of being, you know, prosecuted for whatever crime they've been involved in. So that's kind of the reasoning for it. I wish we had them here. I feel like you, whenever they happen there, you guys always get so much info. Yeah, and a lot, they make it all public. Like once the inquest is finished, they release the report and sometimes they're hundreds and hundreds of pages. Like it's fascinating reading. Yeah. So at the conclusion of that inquest, Deputy State Coroner Jan Stevenson said that Lynette was killed by someone she knew and she recommended that charges were laid. The Director of Public Prosecutions at the time, though, refused to lay charges. They held a second inquest in 2003 and it was recommended again that Chris be charged. The Director of Public Prosecutions again refused to do so because they claimed there was a lack of evidence. And that's one thing, I don't want to get too much off topic, but that I find issue with the coronial process. A lot of the time they spend all this money, all this time, and nothing actually happens. That happens very often. So anyway, happened again in this case. In 2013, police offered a $100,000 reward for information in Lynn's case, and they doubled it to $200,000 in 2014. A third investigation was launched in 2015. It was called Strike Force Scriven. And that um, in during that, investigators mapped the entire property at Bayview. So I'm guessing they kind of gridded it and tried to investigate, like literally, you know, inch by inch. Mm-hmm. So things really started to heat up in Lynn's case in 2018. The Teacher's Pet podcast that we spoke about earlier was launched. It's since had over 60 million downloads. It's really, really good. It's a series just on this case, you know, hours and hours and hours of content. If you want to do a deep dive, I really recommend checking it out. Lynn's daughter, Chanel, actually spoke to the podcast. She said that the family didn't speak much about Lynn after she went missing. She said, we didn't mention my mother. There was, I don't know, but just a really uncomfortable silence. In July 2018, the New South Wales Police Commissioner Mick Fuller admitted that police had dropped the ball during the original investigation into Lynn's disappearance, which was no shock to anyone, but at least they're (laughs) admitting it now. So police police excavated at Bayview again in September 2018. They didn't find Lynn. They didn't find anything much, I don't think. On December 5, 2018, almost 37 years after she vanished, Chris was arrested and charged with Lynn's murder. He was extradited from Queensland to Sydney on December 6 and he appeared in court via video link. His lawyer, Greg Walsh, said at the time he strenuously asserts his innocence. So December 17, Chris was bailed out and he was able to go back and live in his Queensland home. This is another case that took a long time. We were just talking about quick and, you know, quick cases and long cases. This went on from 2018 to 2022, so definitely not a quick outcome. On August 8, 2019, the magistrate Michael Allen warned that some of the reporting of the case could affect a fair trial. He said someone would have to be living in a cave or be naive in the extreme to perhaps ignore the potential for unfairness to a person who receives this level of media scrutiny. So I'm pretty sure that's in relation to the Teacher's Pet podcast. And they did actually take the podcast down for a while while this trial was going on. I'm fairly sure it's back up now. So, um, but yeah, it was taken down to kind of stop any prejudice against the case. So crazy. Imagine being contacted and being like, hey, you guys need to take this episode down. <laughs> um, on April 3rd, 2020, Chris officially pleaded not guilty and his lawyers flagged an application for a permanent stay of proceedings. So they basically wanted it to not ever go to, go to trial or go ahead. Mm-hmm. The legal proceedings dragged on and on, and on September 25th, 2020, Supreme Court Judge Elizabeth Fullerton granted Chris a nine-month halt to allow the, quote, unrestrained and clamorous public commentary about his wife's disappearance to abate before his trial. On June 11th, 2021, the Court of Criminal 
The Court of Criminal Appeal refused Chris's team a permanent halt to proceedings, and on April 8 this year, 2022, the High Court backed the decision. Chris's argument for this was that there had been an inordinate delay in prosecuting him, so basically he said it's been too long, there's no case, but they didn't agree with that. On May 2, 2022, the Supreme Court Justice Robert Beach Jones ordered the trial to proceed before a judge and no jury. This was following a request by Chris. <clears throat> the prosecution presented a circumstantial case which alleged that Chris's motive for murder was a desire for his unfettered relationship with Joanne. The defense's argument was that Chris may have failed his wife, but that she left and abandoned the family of, his, of her own accord and that they suggested that she left just to start a new life. The defense's case seemed to rely heavily on a number of alleged witnesses who claimed to have seen Lynn since her disappearance, and Chris chose not to give evidence during the trial. Sue Strath, who was Lynn's friend who made the call to the ombudsman back in 1985, was called to give evidence at the trial. When she arrived at the court, she said, I'm here to see justice done, so let's hope that happens. I was never interviewed. No one ever came looking for her. I just said, what's happened? What have the police done to look for my friend? So the trial wrapped up on the 11th of July, 2022. On August 30, 2022, Justice Harrison delivered his verdict on the case. I remember everyone was like, this is the day, you know, in the morning he's going to hand down his verdict. But it took five hours for him to hand it down. So before he handed down, you know, the verdict, he went into detail kind of about why he had made the decision that he made. And I guess it's different because it's not a jury trial. Like I've never Mm -hmm. really seen that done before, but I guess he had to, you know, have a basis for what he was about to hand down. Yeah. It might be, I can't decide if it's better because it's like, you don't have to sway all these people beyond a reasonable doubt. It's just one person. And it was kind of interesting as it was going on because I kept refreshing Twitter and at one stage it looked like it was going to go a different way and people were pointing fingers at the podcast. Like it was, it was very interesting five hours. (laughs) So A summary of the findings that he handed down, he said that Chris's claim that he received a phone call from Lynn at the Northbridge Baths on January 9 was a lie. The only evidence that Chris received a call from Lynn is from Chris. No one apart from Chris has ever received a phone call from Lynn since she was last spoken to on January 8, 1982. The judge also said that the context of an emotional and stressful marriage breakdown, he cannot accept that Lynette would have merely telephoned Mr. Dawson to say she needed more time. He said it's fanciful in his view to suggest such conversations lacking in detail ever occurred. He, the, just, the Justice Harrison said it was concerning to him that Lynn never contacted anyone else besides Chris, apparently after she disappeared. And he also rejected that the alleged sightings of Lynn were wholly unreliable and found that there was a most compelling body of evidence to reject the theory that Lynn abandoned her family. He, sa- he said that he was satisfied beyond reasonable doubt that Lynette Dawson died as a result of a conscious and voluntary act by Chris. So Paul was in the courtroom, which is Chris's brother at the time, and he can be seen muttering bullshit under his breath. So Chris was found guilty of the murder of Lynette Dawson. He was handcuffed and taken straight into custody. Four years on, we know the awful truth. The unflinching conviction of Lynn's family, of police and journalist Hedley Thomas, borne out by the verdict delivered this week. Let's remember it's taken 40 years for this to happen. Chris Dawson should have been charged 40 years ago. With an appeal expected, this extraordinary saga isn't quite over yet. A despicable crime with no winners and one critical question that remains to be answered. We still need to bring her home. We would ask Chris Dawson to find it in himself to finally do the decent thing and allow us to bring Lynn home to a peaceful rest. He's been taken to Silverwater Prison, which is quite a notorious um, maximum security prison in Sydney. This info about it is from Seven News. It said he'll be allowed to keep his underwear, although he can elect to take a prison-issued pair should he want the complete uniform, (laughs) which is funny. Dawson will be issued a razor, toothbrush, toothpaste and soap. Everything else must be ordered from a list with a maximum spend of $100 a week. Come 3pm, Dawson will enjoy his only hot meal of the day, reheated from a chill pack and served in his cell. Inmates do receive rations doled out either in the morning or evening, and that includes milk, cereal, seven slices of bread to go with sachets of coffee and tea bags. <laughs> After that, he'll have, to, he'll have time to pass before the morning muster at 7am 
whiling away the hours in a cell equipped with a steel toilet, kettle or jug and a sandwich maker. So once Chris has been sentenced, he will be sent to a a prison that kind of matches the security classification that he'll be given. So he may be moved. I feel like he's probably not a massive threat Threat. now that he's 74 years old. What's a sandwich maker? Like a um, toaster? Yeah, like I don't even know what you call them there. Like like a panini maker? Yeah, like where so it's got the hot plates on the top and the bottom and you pull it down? Yeah. Yeah. What do you call it there? Uh, Like a panini maker or something. I don't know. Yeah, like basically like a flat A toasted bed. sandwich. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Toasted sandwich. Like a flatbed. You put the, one, the sandwich on the bottom plate and then you pull the top plate down onto it. I think that's, that's like a luxury for jail. I know. And I feel like it also would be dangerous. Like it'd be hot. Yeah. Anyway. So Chris's lawyer, Greg Walsh, said that he would likely appeal for Chris to be released on the basis that Chris isn't well. He said he's been suffering from cognitive problems and a lot of physical problems. He also said that Chris has now been diagnosed with dementia and has problems with his hips and knees. And as we said, he's now 74 years old. When you see him, he looks like an elderly man. He doesn't, Mm. you know, he still isn't. I I doubt that he has that many physical issues, but anyway, maybe he does. Well, of course they're going to say that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, the lawyer said, whether I proceed with that application, I don't know, but the judge hasn't set a sentencing date yet, which I think he may have since this quote, but he says that may well be, I don't proceed with that application at this stage. He said that Chris was upset following the verdict and would likely appeal. He said, Mr. Dawson has always asserted, and he still does, his absolute innocence of the crime of which he's been convicted, and he will continue to assert that innocence and he will certainly appeal. So Chris is due to be sentenced on November 11th, 2022. So once Chris uh, Chris was convicted, there was some speculation that maybe he'd just give it up now and tell people where Lynette's body is. I think that's unlikely. I feel like he's going to protest this till the very end and he won't. No, he's going to play the dementia card. Yeah, and maybe on his deathbed at the very end he might, but I highly doubt it. (laughs) Seems like a smug asshole. So. Um, Lynn's brother Greg Sims spoke about that after Chris, uh, Chris was convicted. He said, this is a milestone in our journey. However, she's still missing. We would ask Chris to find it in himself to do the decent thing and allow us to put Chris to rest. So when we spoke about Chris traveling to Southwest Rocks to pick up Joanne, um, that I think is basically insinuated that it was along that trip that he may have dumped Lynette's body if it's not at the Bayview house. That trip is around 450 kilometres one way, I believe, or 300 miles. So a lot of that road is freeway and bush. Um, I live along a section of that trip. And every time, everyone I'm driving now, I think, God, there are so many places a body could be dumped. Um, It's just thick, thick, thick bush for miles and miles and miles and miles. So really, she could be anywhere along that stretch of road. Yeah. So Chris and Lynn's daughter Chanel made a social media post after the verdict was delivered. She shared a short excerpt from a poem called Still Possible, which was written by David White, which describes understanding that you have secretly been all along a goodness that can continue to be a goodness to itself. It said, it's still possible in the end to realize why you are here and why you have endured and why you have suffered so much. So in the end, you could witness love miraculously arriving from nowhere, crossing bravely as it does out of darkness from that great and spacious stillness inside of you. So that is about it up to date for Lynette, Lynette Dawson's case. Obviously, there'll be a sentencing in a, you know two months-ish, so we'll keep you updated on that. Her body still hasn't been found. It reminds me of Susan Powell to an extent and Suzanne Morphew to an extent, just how there's like not much evidence, can't find any of them, and the husband was just being a dickhead. Yeah, and in this case, you know, sometimes you think, oh, maybe it wasn't the husband. I feel like there is absolutely no way it wasn't Chris and no the right way. verdict was delivered. I was I was in two minds about what would happen because they said they had to prove it without reasonable doubt. And I'm like, oh, I don't know, I guess, you know, sometimes that can be a bit of a grey area. Yeah. But I feel like absolutely, and I think the public opinion is absolutely the right decision was made. Yeah. I think he definitely did it. I don't see who else would or why. Or like, she, I guess I don't she think she'd leave. No, well, I guess the only other theory is that she left. And I think he, for a while, he tried to push that maybe she'd gone to join a cult or you know some other type of religious group. Which I really feel that she wouldn't have left her kids to do that. No, and the judge made a good point of like she only called him. Hmm. She seemed close with her mom. Like she talked to her mom. She had plans with her mom. Um, her kids were young then, but like she wouldn't call anyone else. 
And she seemed, you know, like I feel like, yeah, exactly. If she was running to get away from Chris, why would he be the only one she called? Yeah, and like yeah. she wouldn't just tell her mom like, oh, I just like need to get away for a little. And she did say that he made her a lovely drink. Did he like <laughs> drug yes. her or something or yeah. to knock her out? And then. And the mom said she sounded drunk, like. Half sozzled, yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't sound like, for, I haven't read any other things that said Lynn was a big drinker. So for her to kind of note that down, you think it must have been out of the ordinary. Mm. I think a good or an interesting quote to finish with is from Joanne Curtis. And, she, and someone had asked her basically about her involvement in the inquest and why she was testifying against Chris and things like that. And she said, I'm not going to destroy him. He will destroy himself, what he's done to people, to me and to Lynn. I'm telling the truth. Mm. So she, Joanne Curtis now lives a very private life. She's not really in the media at all except for when she appeared to testify against him. Um, so she will hopefully be able to get on with the rest of her life. I think she is now 50 in her fifties, even maybe mm. early sixties. So I guess it's been a long saga for her as well. Yeah. Tough life for sure. Mm. And for all their children, like the three girls, um, yeah, it'd be hard now that like, especially the two older girls, they've lost both parents now, essentially. Mm-hmm so yeah we'll keep you updated if i figure the only real updates in this could be if the body is found um and once chris is sentenced so we'll keep you posted if anything else does come up like what a shitty story yeah shitty on a lot of levels it should be how lynn was treated before she died shitty how chris did this to minors like a lot of people are now pushing for him to be prosecuted for his sexual offenses against minors i, That's I don't true. know um, I don't know. I mean, she was sometimes 16 is like the age of consent for some reason. Yeah. And I feel like it's just such a long time ago. It would be so hard for them to like, maybe yeah. they could get him for Joanne. Cause that was obviously validated and proven, but I don't know how many others there were. I don't know if it reached like the statute limitations or how that works though. So yeah, it's, he's just a generally shitty person. It seems. Yeah. It's sad. He got away with it for so long too. Like they didn't even care to look for her for so long and he just was living his fucking life and he got to live the prime of his life like he you know from 35 till 70 ish he was living out living large in queensland you know yeah he had all the assets all the money like and i'm pretty sure he was married again so he's had at least three wives in his life like he was after joanne yeah yeah someone married him yeah yeah Oh I'm sure God. I don't know if they are still married, but I'm sure at the time he was arrested, he was married. So, oh, damn. Like I get Joanne was like young, so I get why I was like she was like looped into it and manipulated, even with all these red flags. But it's like after that, how did someone? Maybe it was like another minor. Like how did another adult? I guess there's a lot of dumb people out there. And like yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see if they end up coming out and speaking up once all this has happened. Yeah, that's true. <clears throat> I'd like to hear from them to see if I'm sure mm. he was still an abusive piece of shit. So, yeah. All right. Well, I guess that's it. That's it. I think for that teacher's pet Lynette Dawson case for now. I haven't listened to that podcast. I'll have to listen to it. Yeah, it's good. Definitely check it out. That's it for this episode. Everything will be on the blog. If you want to read more about the case at truecrimesocietyblog.com. If you want to listen to that podcast, it's called Teacher's Pet. Olivia said it was very good. So I just had a look just to double check it is up. It's definitely up. It's back up. Um, yeah, they haven't updated it since 2018. There's 16 episodes. So that, their last nice. episode is about the arrest. Maybe once he's been sentenced, they'll do one more episode. Yeah. You can follow us on Instagram at True Crime Society. You can follow our personal accounts. Mine's Steph Sum underscore. Mm-hmm. Olivia's is TCS Olivia. And leave us a review, a nice review. We love nice <laughs> reviews on Apple, especially. That's where you can actually write out a review. And on Spotify, you can leave us a rating. So we appreciate that too. One thing about Spotify, can I just add in quickly? Someone yeah. messaged saying, why can't I give you guys five stars? It only lets me give you four. I think on Spotify, if you can't give us five stars, it means you've already given us five stars. They don't, yeah, let, you, like- they don't let you rate twice. So definitely don't change it to four. Just leave it. <laughs> yeah yeah it's weird it's like it's a and it's not a very user-friendly system like it doesn't say mm-hmm. you've already rated it just, it just yeah like you can change it yeah it's weird share the podcast big help to us when you guys share it on your stories and things like that and check out our sponsors remember to check out our post on the day this episode comes out we'll do the post for the june's journey contest so you don't want to miss that and all of our other sponsors as well everything will be in the episode notes all the links and codes and everything 
That's it. That's all I usually say. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So thanks for listening. Remember, everyone, be nice to each other and protect each other. Like we said last time, if you see any sketchy people out there, just have each other's backs for us. (laughs) Stay safe. (laughs) All right. Bye. See ya. (laughs) Oh, 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 oh,